three preachers were on a fishing trip, and they began to discuss various topics to pass the time, and one preacher thought it would be a, a nice idea if they confessed their biggest sins to each other and then prayed for one another. Well, they all agreed, and the first preacher said that his biggest sin was that he liked to sit at the beach now and then and watch pretty women stroll by. Second preacher confessed that his biggest sin was to go to the horse racing track and, and uh, put a bet on a horse every so often. Turning to the third preacher, uh, they asked, well, what's your biggest sin? With a grin, he said, my biggest sin is gossiping. <laughs> Other guys are in trouble. <laughs> the seven deadly sins, uh, we've been going through this series now, and I don't know what, we're we, what week we're even on. I, I, I know we have at least three left after this week. Um, but this morning we're going to talk about sloth. And, and that's a tough one. Um, I, I think with the seven deadly sins, and, and really sin in general, uh, they may be more about our heart than our actions. Now, there's a difference between temptation and sin, um, but I, I think we, we can sin uh, without other people knowing it, without an action committed or seeing something. And so this morning, this is going to feel more true than I think with any of the other sins. Uh, we, we say sloth, and it's kind of just like every week. There's usually another word that's used more often, than what we, uh, what we are reading um, or what we see w was recorded in the first list, and it's laziness, sloth or laziness. But really, I think a better definition would be not caring about the things that matter enough to do anything about them, and not doing enough things about what matters to do anything about them. Maybe we call this indifference. It's knowing what we should do and choosing not to. It could be our responsibilities. It could be other people's needs. It could be little things, or it could be really big things. I think that we can we can fall into this uh, trap of, of sin, of sloth, even without realizing it. it it's hardest because um, we, we can always do more. I mean, I can look at someone and say, look how much they're doing. I mean, there's no way I could ever do what they're doing for the church or for the kingdom or for other people or for God. And, and then I could look at someone else and say, like, well, this actually makes me feel pretty good. I mean, look what they're doing. I'm, I'm doing way more than they are. Well, we can't do that. that that's, I think that's the issue. Uh, what, whenever I first looked at this idea and started reading different passages about sloth and, and, uh, and laziness, I, I, I really had trouble um, separating a, a sloth from a different idea. I think that um, when, I th when I think of sloth or laziness, I think of undiscipline. But the truth is, you can be slothful, you can fall into this trap and be disciplined, or you can be slothful and be undisciplined. You can be undisciplined, you, maybe you don't, uh, you just stay up as late as you can, you uh, just till you fall asleep, maybe playing video games or watching movies till uh, one or two in the morning, and then you wake up when you want, and you might go to work that day, or you might not, or you might, you might do chores, or you might not. We would say that person's undisciplined, and they are falling into the trap of sloth. But someone else might wake up at 5 a.m. every day, and they're at work on time, and, and they go through their day, and they've got, uh, they've got their routines and their schedules, and, uh, and they do what they need to do for themselves, and they go to bed at a set time, and, and you, try to, you talk to them, and, I mean, they're so busy, but they don't have time for you. They actually might be falling into this sin of sloth as well, because maybe they're neglecting things that matter, uh, that should matter. I think both are about comfort. Some are comfortable with a busy schedule and no downtime. Others are comfortable watching TV for five to seven hours every night, but both could be sinful. Uh, I've, I read this quote by 
Frederick Buchner, I think that's how you say it, maybe not, but he said, uh, sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He is a man who goes through the motions, who flies on autopilot. A, a big example in, in our country, um, a report from the Global Wellness Institute found that Americans spend $264.6 billion on physical activity. This was in 2018, but it's far more than any other nation. The United States leads the world in spending for every segment. Fitness classes, $37 billion. Sports and recreation, $58 billion. Apparel and footwear, $117 billion. Equipment and supplies, $37.5 billion. Mindful movement like yoga, $10 billion. Related technology, $8.1 billion. But according to a, a different academic journal study from The Lancet, for all this spending, we're number one by far in every area. We, uh, we rank 143rd globally for actual participation in physical activity. That's, that's pretty bad. More than 40% of Americans fail to meet the global standard of 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity or 75 of intense activity. What I'm trying to say is sloth can look very different based on the culture. Uh, we define it one way because of the American culture and what's promoted and pushed and what's not. And another country might be completely different. And so since I don't want this to be a, just an American sermon, I want this to be a biblical sermon, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at some, some different areas of the Bible. Because it's so hard to define, I want to share three different biblical examples. Um, normally I find one main passage. I don't have one main passage today. Uh, we're going to go into three different areas, and we're going to look at what sloth is, what it's not, and pull a challenge from each passage. And so if you want to start with me first in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, it says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has dis distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have, a di we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so this first challenge is to live for the body, not for yourself. Uh, I mean, a couple things really stood out in this passage. Right at the beginning, don't think of yourself so highly. And then in verse 5, so in Christ we, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. I don't know if we actually have that mentality here. Um, and I don't mean Mount Pulaski. I mean, it really, in, in, in the country, probably in the world, uh, I think a lot of times we, we think about ourselves. It's natural. It's not healthy, but it's what we do. You start with yourself, and then if you've got a little extra time, maybe, a little extra energy, a little extra money, then maybe I'll, I'll help someone else. But he says that we belong to each other. So slothfulness looks like selfishness. That's where it starts. If, if, you're, if you aren't doing anything for the church, uh, for other believers, then you're neglecting your gift or your part, and it says then that we're sinning. For many, though, uh, I really believe, that, especially the younger we are, the excuse is not laziness. It's, it's busyness. It's filling our time with things that may or may not matter, but neglecting what really, really matters. There was a group called the Desert Fathers. They were a protest movement against worldliness in the early church. 
And they spoke of busyness as moral laziness. Busyness can be an addictive drug, which is why its victims are increasingly referred to as workaholics. Busyness acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties as we scramble to achieve an inviolable image to display to others. We become outward people obsessed with how we appear rather than inward people reflecting on the meaning of our lives. And so we have to make a choice. Do we want to impress others or do we want to love others? And it's really hard to do both. And, and so from this passage, I, I think what it tells us, being a part of the body, everyone has to do something. Everyone doesn't have to do the same thing. Everyone doesn't have the same gifts or abilities or resources, maybe the same time and energy. But we all have something to bring to the table. So we all have to do something. The second challenge comes from 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 13. It says this, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a, as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. I see two things from there, and the first is to work hard, and the second is to work hard until the end. We have to keep going. He gives us these examples here. He says, we were not idle when we were with you. This is a model for you to imitate. And he finishes by saying, never tire of doing what is good. The church has to be full of givers, not takers. I understand we have, we all, we're here for each other, and in order to give, someone has to receive. That's just the way it is. There are times when you will need to be on the receiving end, and I think that you should not feel bad about that. I know a lot of people do. It's hard to take help. Sometimes we need help. But when you're not on that end, when you can be on the giving end, then you should. I, I, I know it's just there's different excuses for different stages of life, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying not to put everyone in the same uh, category just because you're young. This might not be you, or if you're old, it might not. But young people seem to be too busy. I mean, and I, and, I, and I look at their schedules and hear what they're doing. Yeah, you are too busy. But what are you doing? What are you doing with your time? Uh, Middle-aged people seem to have too many responsibilities. As we start to grow and uh, or get a little bit older, then there's more people that we need to care for. Maybe you're, you know, you're taking care of your parents. You're taking care of your kids. Uh, your job's a, a high capacity. There's just all kinds of things. And none of these things are bad. Um, and then older people sometimes have told me, I, I, I put my time in. They, they don't usually say it like that. They say, well, I, I taught for 30 years, so maybe I haven't done anything in the last 20, but I already put my 30 years in. Now he says, never tire of doing what is good. So we have to continue to all, all, do, all of us have to do something. The way we spend our time tells us, shows what's important to us. And so are you working hard is probably the first question from this idea of sloth, but who are you working for, would be the more important question. And then the third challenge comes from James 4, 
13 to 17, it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live uh, and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. I'm going to read verse 17 in just a second. I can, it is up there. Yep. Um, this is probably the best definition. And if I was going to pick any passage, I just would have picked this one verse. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. That's the one. This is the definition, I think, of, of sloth. If you know what you, you ought to do and you don't, then it's a sin. And so the challenge is to decide what you should do now and do it. Uh, we, we think of these sins, uh, I, I think looking at the others, it's the, you, there's the word, the, the idea of the sin of, of commission, meaning you commit a sin. You're tempted, you fall into it, so you've sinned. Well, there's also the sin of omission, meaning you should do something, this definition, but you don't. You, you look around and you say, man, they really need help. Uh, I'm, someone else can do it. Uh, th they need someone to encourage them. Hey, has any, have you called? Sometimes people ask me, have you called this person? And I want to say, have you? I usually don't because I don't want to make someone else mad. But, but we have to do that for each other. We have to encourage each other. I'm shortening the sermon right now. I just read a story. I just decided I'm not going to read this right now. So I just cut it. It's not that good. Don't worry. There are, uh, there are many proverbs um, discussing what a lazy person looks like. And, uh, and, and all these are just excuses, and, and they're, I, I like them, they, they, see, they seem to be exaggerated. But it says, how long will you lie there? Oh, this is Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an unarmed man. It's this idea that a, a, a lazy person has, has trouble getting started. I want to do this. I'm going to make a difference. Uh, maybe someday. You probably won't. Uh, I'm going to start giving as soon as, as soon as I make this much money or we, we pay this off. No, something will come up. You won't. I'm going to start serving when my, when my kids get through this age group or, or, uh, or, or, or through school. Uh, something, something will happen. You'll be busy. Uh, it, it's just these are the excuses. And, and again, it's not to call out anyone. I make excuses too. Um, but this is what was even in the scripture um, thousands of years ago. People say, I'm, I'm going to do this. No, not today. Uh, Proverbs 12, 27, the lazy do not roast in a game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Uh, they, they go hunting, but then they don't cook their food. They, they get started, but they don't finish. It, it's exaggerated even more in Proverbs 26, 15. A slugger buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. You're sitting at the table and you, you put your hand down, grab the, the pizza, the cheeseburger, and you're too tired to lift it to your mouth. Now this is an exaggeration, but it's the idea that, that if we're lazy, we don't finish what we start. We, I think what we do is we say, I'm, I'm going to make a big difference and I love this idea and, and we should do this as a church and we should love people, so we're going to start this program and then it's too hard and so we stop two weeks later. It's just too much. Proverbs twenty two thirteen. the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, 
I'll be killed in the public square. A lazy person makes excuses for not doing things. That sounded like a, a reasonable excuse. When I read that first, but wait a second, this is, there's a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square. If there's a lion outside my house, and I, my excuse is that I don't want to go out and be killed, then that, that seemed reasonable. But as I looked into it, it actually, um, the, li the lions didn't come into town. They usually stayed outside of the town. And so what that meant was it's, uh, it's an irrational excuse that is very unlikely to happen. And, and so it's like when, when we say, well, I, I'd like to give to, you know, to these people or to help this family, but what if I run out for this? Or I, I'd like to go and, and help these people, but then what if these people need me? And so we say there's just these excuses for everything, and there's, there's a reason, but I'm just not going to do anything just to make sure I don't do the wrong thing. All it comes down to is we, we have to put the work in. I mean, it's literally a sin not to. We know that laziness hurts a lot. Uh, we can uh, do some things uh, like go on a mission trip or, or you help your neighbor um, or you do something kind for someone. And, I, and I, I know everyone feels this way. It's the best feeling. When you, fin when you do something for someone else, you feel really, really good about it. And uh, yet we, we don't do a lot of it. Maybe some do. I think generally speaking, though, we, this will bring fulfillment. This will be good for the other person. This will be good for me. This is good for the kingdom. I feel really good that I did this, but now I'm not going to do it again for seven years. You know, maybe we just, just kind of try to get those feelings for what we did a long time ago. We have to keep going. We have to keep doing it. Sloth is a sin not because it keeps us from waking up early. It's a sin because it keeps us from loving people. Uh, love requires action. This example was given through Jesus, it, taking the cross for us, taking our sin. It, it wasn't just that, that God said, I love you. He said, I love you enough to send my son for you. And, and so we know that love requires action. It, it, it hurts when we, when we fall into this sin, but I don't, we don't recognize it. I mean, sloth's a really tough one because I think when there's, when there's sloth in a relationship, um, we don't say that's the problem but then something else happens, and then we say, oh, that was the issue all along. Uh, in, in marriage is the biggest one I can think of. I, I believe that most marriages fail uh, because there wasn't enough work put in. Not, not that most marriages fail, but the marriages that do fail, most of them happen because there wasn't work put in on the front end. But usually we don't see that. We say it was some other reason. It requires commitment and work. There was a, a movie a few years ago probably been a long time it just feels like a few years ago um but it was fireproof and then a book came out with it that was called the love dare and uh and the love dare was this idea that you don't just say you love someone but you actually put work into it and, and a couple of the examples it, there were challenges you do one a day for 40 days number number two i'm not going to read all of them. number two was love is kind in addition to saying nothing negative to your spouse again today do at least one unexpected gesture as an act of kindness. Number four, love is thoughtful. Contact your spouse sometime during the business of the day. Have no agenda other than asking how he or she is doing and if there's anything you could do for them. It's this idea that, that love takes action and, and slothfulness, laziness, stops us from taking that appropriate action. The same is true with parenting. And I'm giving these examples. I, I know it works in all areas, but I, I just want you to see how how much of a big deal this actually is. In Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength. That, that's the beginning of it. That, that's uh, that's the, the greatest commandment. Jesus emphasizes that later. He reiterates that. Um, but, but then verse 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We have to make God, make the Bible, make Jesus a big deal in our homes. And you can't just say, I love God and I love people and do nothing about it. I mean, this was exhausting just reading it, but what do we do with it? We, how do we love God? He says, take these commandments, take what you know about God, about his holiness and his goodness, and, and do everything with them. Put them up, uh, tell, put them on your foreheads. Now, these, these, again, this is uh, uh, exaggerating things, but make a big deal out of God in your home. And it's not going to happen without working. When we're slothful, we fail to do that, and we sin. Well, I want to I finish uh, with, with a question. Um, this, is, this is hard. Again, it's hard because of uh, the comparisons of how we can look around. And it's hard to know because if I do this for this person, and then what do I do for this person? And I, we just don't always know, and I get that. But there's a, a preacher and an author, Andy Stanley. His dad's Charles Stanley, who uh, also was a preacher for a long time. And he asked this question, what does love require of me? Think about that, the wording of that. Not um, what does love ask of me, uh, what should I do because of love, what can I do because I, uh, to love these people. No, what does it require? It, it, that's, that, that's a strong word. Now, that's just Andy Stanley. That's not the Bible. But I love that word because we can do a lot of stuff, and we should do a lot of stuff. And I don't always know what to do. But the greatest commandment says just, just love people. Love God and love people. Those are the first two. We don't compare but we pray, and we, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. How, how can I love someone? What does love require of me today? Not in 20 years, but right now. And so what do you need to do right now? When, when, you, when you know, uh, maybe, maybe you're not 100% sure, when you, when you feel led to do something for someone else, uh, make the commitment and decide, and then do it today. That's what the world needs. That's what we need of each other. There are a lot of broken and, hurt and, uh, and hurting people uh, with us today. We need that of each other. And that's what the people need outside of this church. When we tell someone about Jesus, and we say that God loved us to send so much that he sent his son to die for us, well, what does that look like when we're selfish, when we don't seem to care about them? We are the example of Jesus. And so what does love require of you today? Let's pray. Father, I, I first thank you for uh, your word. Um, it's so challenging sometimes to, uh, to grasp what you want us to know from it. Um, but to be able to uh, look throughout the Bible, uh, to look through uh, different examples and different challenges, um, I, I pray that we just do with it what you want us to do with it. Uh, I, I pray that our eyes would be open uh, to the things that matter. Um, you being number one and, and the people around us. And so I pray that you would help us uh, to, uh, to do what we can do um, personally, uh, but, but also as a body. What can we do uh, for those around us and for the world? Uh, God, please guide us. 
and uh, and thank you for the reminder that we have through your son, both in a, as an example and as the hope. We thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.